ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode three of the That's What She Said podcast. I'm Alexa Dat. I will be your host. And our producer, Kyle, got deported, so he is no longer here anymore. Um, joining me this week is producer Jay Hearn. Mm. Hi, Jason. Hi, Alexa. Is that Peace, your high? Yes. Just a little bit of a, a yeah. moan? Mm. Okay, great. I love it. <laughs> yeah, peace, Kyle. We got bad feedback from you, so you're no longer invited back. Uh, that's not true. He's actually on Long Island doing some sort of graphic, boring things. So we have a new producer, so that'll be fun. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about the NFC playoff race. We're going to talk about the UFC fight that I saw this weekend mm-hmm. that I thought was very interesting. And we're going to talk to Chris Carlin, who's going to be our guest, who is a host at SNY. He hosts Geico Sports Night. He hosts Loudmouths. He is an all-around amazing guy. You're going to love hearing about his career. He's been inspirational to me and to a lot of other people. Some so with Mike and a Mad Dog. Yes, he's been all over the map. We're going to talk to him about Don Imus. So that'll be really exciting. So if you're a fan of podcasts, sports, me, Jay Hearn, even though you just met him, yes. go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes or YouTube under the That's What She Said podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Alexa underscore NYC. So let's dive right into it. Let's talk about the NFC playoff picture. And one of my least favorite teams to watch, the Air. Arizona Cardinals are kind of kicking butt. You yes, like them, don't you? I do. I love Carson Palmer. I love David Johnson. I love Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, I, I mean, John Brown. They're an exciting team to watch to me. Well, what makes them so exciting to you? I find them absolutely boring. There's nothing interesting about the Cardinals. Carson Palmer, get out of here. Really? I love the fact that he kind of stunk it up with the Bengals. He was just kind of this cast off guy, blew out the knee after signing the contract, and it was just, it comes back and it's just like, Hey, remember me? This is I, I'm picking up exactly where I left off. I love their receivers more so than anything. I love Jaron Brown, John Brown. I don't know. The, the only reason I know who exciting. those guys are is because I have a couple of them in fantasy or I face them in fantasy. Otherwise, oh, there you I go. have no idea who these guys are. I mean, they're a completely different team than the Carolina Panthers, who are the exact opposite. Cam Newton is a mega star, and he's had an amazing journey. And he's just a complete different situation, and he, he's lighting it up. Yeah, I mean, listen, I am from North Carolina. I like the Panthers. I want them to succeed. Cam Newton is, I I mean, he's evolving into an amazing player. It's taken a while for him to really kind of get my attention, not just as a player, but as a guy. Like, he, he kind of rubbed me the wrong way for a long time, and it's amazing what winning can do. Because his antics are kind of the same, but... He's winning, and so everyone loves it now. I'm a huge fan of his antics. I love that he'll take the ball from the ball boy and go give it to a kid in the stands. I love that he's doing all of the hoopla on the sidelines and he's asking the crowd to make more crowd noise. I love that he's cheering for his backup when he makes a completion. All of these things. I love the dab, and, and now it's over. I mean, can we stop dabbing? But Cam can can do it forever. He can never not dab. I'm tired of the old white guys who are doing it and yeah. embarrassing themselves. Yeah, what's my boy Roy Williams did it? I was like, uh, it's over. Come on, guys. Event. Yeah. <laughs> but if Cam, to me, is so enigmatic. He's, he's amazing to watch. I don't know. Is that a word? Enigmatic? Maybe uh, not. Yeah, sure. Okay. For this podcast, it is. Yes, it will be. The Panthers are really interesting. They remind me a lot of the 2011 Packers because you've got a great receiver, tight end situation. Mm-hmm. And Olsen. And Olsen. Yep. You've got a great running back. Yep. And Daily you, show. Yeah. And you've got an anchor on the defense who is so pivotal 
to this team. And now I know it sounds easy, yes. right? A great defender, great running back, great yeah, receiver kind of and a quarterback. Sure. But it, it all comes together so well. And it kind of just reminds me of that Packers team who won the Super Bowl in 2011 because they have all of these big pieces and all of these guys end up being stars and play so well together. I, I don't know. I, I'm really excited to see how far they go in the playoffs. I hope they win the Super Bowl. Uh, do you think they will? I think they could. Uh, mm. Yeah, sure. I think they will. Sure, yeah. I'll go for it. I'm saying right now that the Panthers are winning the Super Bowl. Why not? Wow. I mean, listen, I love it. I hope they do. I, I am dying for some legitimacy for the state of North Carolina. Oh, my gosh. It's really bad teams. for y'all out there. Really bad. For the professional teams. I know Tar Heels and NC State and Duke and everyone loves to talk about basketball. But uh, By the basketball. way, can we talk about that for a second, though? Uh, Carolina has lost to two unranked teams. Uh, I don't really That's embarrassing. They come uh, in as the number one team in the nation, and they can't even beat guys that aren't even on the map. I mean, Northern Iowa, they, listen, they played Northern Iowa because Marcus Page, that was supposed to be his homecoming. He wasn't playing. So, uh, I don't love that. I mean, listen, it's, it's fine. I'm not worried. And if Felix has one-tenth of a second less to shoot that ball, that shot doesn't count, and we could be talking about a whole different game. Besides but, the Panthers, it is quiet for everyone out in Carolina. It's unbelievable. The Hurricanes, no one even cares. I don't know that they know that they have a hockey team. No, and... And they won what? the Stanley Cup in 2006. Yes. That I, wasn't that long ago. I don't think I don't think people even know that they play in Raleigh. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I bet you would poll 100 people and 10 would know. I would love for the Panthers to win the Super Bowl, and I want them to go undefeated. Riverboat Ron, let's go. Let's win every game. Do it. By the way, the Charlotte Hornets don't have a terrible record, but Michael Jordan out here suing grocery stores. Do you hear that? I mean, it is... It is real bad for y'all in Carolina. So I, I don't know. I'm, I just like them a lot. And, and they're a fun team to watch. So I wanted to talk to you about something that happened to me this weekend. Shoot. I was at a friend's birthday party. And he had us all go out to a bar for his birthday. And the UFC fight was on. And mm-hmm. it was kind of a party built around the fight. And okay. there were two co-main events. The first one was Chris Wyden, the guy from Long Island. And he got beat. So bad, he got beat to a pulp. I mean, his face was really, really beaten up, bloody all over the place. Yep. But he was still defending himself, so the ref didn't call it. Yeah, or there was Once, some controversy about that? A little bit, yeah. I think he could have stopped it a little earlier. I mean, we were all kind of grabbing our faces in horror, but but that's the sport. Sure. UFC is about beating the crap out of each other. That's Correct. what it is. Yes. So, it, I mean, it was gruesome, but that's what you're there to watch. And then the other co-main event was Conor McGregor, who beat Jose Aldo in 13 seconds, which was unbelievable. He came out through a punch, and he just dropped to the ground. So for me, I'm a big UFC girl. I like boxing. I'm into the whole sport. I like the idea of, you know, raw competition. Sure. I've gotten into... UFC more so now that it's more mainstream, but my friend who specifically had us all out, after the fight, he sent a really interesting email, and he sent it to my husband, but my husband sent it off to me, and of course, I'm going to read it on this podcast because, Ballard, you're going to get called out. (laughs) He said, watching Weidman get beat this weekend was too much for me. I'm totally done with UFC, will never watch or support it again. He said, I know there may be a measure of hypocrisy given my enjoyment of football and boxing, but something about watching Weidman this weekend made me want to say to myself, never again will I take part in this. Wow. I I mean, listen, to me, UFC, I get the allure on a very base level. Uh, I understand the competitive nature. 
I understand the machismo. Like, I get it. I'm a very competitive person myself, but there's a disconnect for me watching these guys beat the crap out of each other. I won't say that it's too violent. Like, it, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, I, it's on a very base level. It's just two guys beating the crap out of each other. And if you're into that kind of thing, I don't fault you. I just, uh, I, for me, I just don't see the allure. There's something about it when I turn it on. I'm like, you're not into the pomp and circumstance, even like when they come out with their robes and their walkout music. Nah. And some of them are walking out to their own songs. Some of them are walking out to Miley Cyrus. It's like oh, it's a whole <laughs> c- circumstance. I, I mean, uh, good for you. I, I I appreciate the fact that McGregor told Donald Trump to shut his mouth when he was talking smack about like Ronda Rousey. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and if you want to put those two in a ring together. Uh, I would watch that. Okay. Uh, Let's see if we can make that happen. I would love to see that. If we have the power to make that happen, that would be amazing. I just, the sport doesn't really do much for me. And and I understand your friend's point. I just think that is such a, a wussy move. I was going to use another word, but yeah, I just let's think, not do that. I just think it's such a wussy move to bail out on the sport altogether because a guy got beat up too much. That's what the sport is. That's what the whole point is, is a very raw Everything's stripped away. You have zero equipment. You have zero protection. That's yeah. all you're trying to do is, I mean, is essentially kill the other person in the ring. And yeah. it's watching the the rawest form of what sports is and what sports has been for a really long time. So for me, I'm it gets me very excited. My heart's raising. I'm you know I'm very into it. And I was shocked that he just is going to bail on the whole situation. Yeah, doesn't shock me. I mean, it's it's not like football where you can take preventative measures really to make the sport more safe or like, it's just you're either in or you're out. I feel like there's no in between. Yeah. Well, Ballard, I guess, will not be having any more UFC parties, but happy birthday, Ballard, anyway. So Sports Illustrated announced their sports person of the year, and it was Serena Williams, which I thought was an excellent choice. I loved yes, her cover. Agreed. She's on the throne and she's got her little yeah, get up on. Strong, she looks great. sexy, confident. Absolutely. It's a great cover. And you pointed out a really good point that the horse community was outraged oh because God. they wanted American Pharaoh on the cover. I didn't even really get into this story. What happened? What was the situation? It's So I guess just short of 50% of the uh, reader vote came in wanting American Pharaoh to win Sports Person of the Year. And I feel like this is a very simple argument. It is Sports Person of the Year. <laughs> it is not Sports Horse of the Year. Therefore, you are not eligible. Because you're a horse. You are a horse. I just don't, like, I, I, I if don't. If there's a chance you could be turned into glue at some point in your life, <laughs> you shouldn't be eligible for this Barbara and me, rest in peace. God bless him. Uh, the, I, I just don't, uh, listen, you want to say Serena, Steph Curry, Carly Lloyd, Alexa Dat, all people more eligible to win Sports Person of the Year. Yeah, absolutely. Than American Pharaoh. That's right. I, uh, let, Alexa Dad, I like that. Yes, I, I think it's it's an absolutely. <laughs> <What's up with> <laughs> dad? <laughs> I think it's an absolutely ridiculous argument. Uh, Serena, however, I thought was a great choice. Okay, so we're going to start something new on this podcast called the Quote of the Week, mm. and we're each going to pick a quote and talk a little bit about it because there's so we hear so much audio working at SNY stuff that comes yes. in. You know, you read stuff on Twitter, but Media mainly everywhere. when you hear it come in because we're listening to these long press conferences. Sometimes we pause and go back, and we're like, "Did he really just say that?" And we're not going to put it in the sound only because there's a storyline that we're trying to push. There are other things that we're going for, but. When you hear something that almost just blows your mind, this is a really good outlet to talk about that. So what's your quote of the week? Uh, I'm going to go with Todd Bowles. Okay, uh, what did he say? After his after the Jets' uh, whooping of the Titans, he was asked about a trap game. 
Like, would the Titans get, or was the Titans game like a trap, trap house? Get, <laughs> yes, exactly. Is Bowles hanging out of the trap house? Is that what he's doing? <laughs> I don't think I can comment on that. Uh, and he said, if you're the Golden State Warriors, you can have a trap game. We're not that good. And to have... Well, they're not. Uh, well, listen, and he's completely honest about what his team is. And I love that. He has become kind of the anti-Rex. Yeah, he really has. He, and it's huge, and it's really doing a lot for that team. Some humility from a Jets head coach. It's so refreshing. I'm not a Jets fan. I love the fact that he is the anti-Rex and that he is de-Rexing this team. Yep. And I'm not saying that it's 100% the reason, but look at how he's taking control of this team He's captained this team with Ryan Fitzpatrick as the quarterback. I'm not saying that you know Fitz is a bad quarterback, but he's not an elite quarterback. He's made this defense sound. The offense. He's AFC Player of the Week, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, he he's derexing this team, and when you throw in the fact that everything that Bulls says. He just kind of sounds like Cleveland Brown from Family Guy. <laughs> I do like that. And like just listening to him speak, he could read the phone book and I would kind of laugh. But the fact that he was so honest, so refreshing about what his team is, and they're good. They're in the playoff hunt. Yeah. I, I, I loved it. I like when he was asked about Muhammad Wilkerson being snubbed from the for the Pro Bowl. And he basically said, you know what? I'm glad that he's on my team. I like having him. He's a good guy. He plays hard. He doesn't want to comment on the Pro Bowl. Yep. He doesn't care. That has nothing to do with what he's trying to do with his team. He's, you know, and if it was Rex Ryan, it would be a totally different situation. Mm, He's not about that. (laughs) You could say that. So my favorite quote from this week, there were so many, but my favorite, favorite one was about Pete Rose. So when the commissioner, Rob Manfred, was asked about Pete Rose, and this was in a statement explaining why Rose's lifetime ban will remain, he said... During our meeting, Mr. Rose told me that he has continued to bet on horse racing and on professional sports, including baseball. (laughs) What? Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's rewind. So this guy's trying to get reinstated back into MLB to be eligible for the hall. Correct. To go to spring training, Mm -hmm. to potentially maybe be on... Just to be involved in baseball, period. Yeah, maybe as a coach or involved in the sport somehow. And he's not... And, he, and the reason is because he was betting on the sport and he's still betting on the sport. What is wrong with this guy? You know, maybe not the smartest thing to admit if you're trying to get back into baseball. However, can I just say, can we stop oh, with the I'm, whole... I am so excited to hear your defense of this. I, I, can I, I, I'm not defending it. It's not the smartest thing to say. But can I just say that enough with the holier-than-thou attitude with baseball. He's not being canonized. Right. Like, just... You know what? Listen, if you don't want to let him back in baseball, I understand. Just put him in the Hall of Fame. No. Yes. No. Yes. He's put a him cheater. In. First of all, okay. He's a cheater. Did you know that Major League Baseball Fake. has an equity stake in DraftKings? Yeah, DraftKings is legal. Yep. Betting on I'm, baseball when you play is baseball Major is League, not. Major League Baseball has a stake in DraftKings. They are one of the reasons so? why... That gambling on sports is growing the way it is. And then you're going to look at Pete Rose and be like, nah, dude, sorry, yeah, you can't be what? in the Hall of Fame. The players aren't gambling on sports. Just the ones who are actually manipulating the game, who have the ability to change the outcome, aren't betting on the sport. I, under, well, you don't know that. I Well, they didn't get caught. Yeah, so that doesn't mean that's, that it isn't happening necessarily. But I oh. think but I think a lot of it is because of Pete Rose. I think a lot of guys stay out of 
the gambling scene in general because they saw what happened to Pete Rose and nobody wants any part of that. I think that's big. I mean, I get it. I'm just saying he's... If you don't want to put him in baseball, fine. I think that he should go in the Hall of Fame. You want to put on the plaque. Hey, listen, this dude was made some bad decisions, but he had X number of hits. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Just let him be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I disagree. Speaking of a guy that I don't think will be in the Hall of Fame, but eh, I think should. Probably not. Serviceable player. I but, think uh, should. Probably not. Michael Kodair retired yes. after 15 seasons in Major League Baseball, 36 years old. He's got a lot of cash. and yes, approximately $79 million worth. That's a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, at least over the course of his career, according to baseball reference, I don't think he's got that fluid. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not liquid. Yes. But we were talking about a couple of the things that we think that he can do now that he retires. I got a couple. Okay. So one, I think because of his you know, magician skills that he could do magic at any point in time. Yes, I anticipate that would make him another $79 million over the course of his life. Yeah, he's very good at it. I think two... He would be really good at starring in those Cialis commercials. <laughs> I think he has like a career in that because I love it. He's like an older, good-looking, you know, salt and pepper-haired guy. He's in start, good shape. They he's should got a start good a smile. whole campaign. It can be like the counter argument to the Viagra commercials. Sure, you know, they kind of have like a woman of every race. Go yeah, up. like there should be a counter commercial ad. Like for, I could picture right? Michael Kadir in a bathtub on a hillside. Like smiling at a pretty girl next to him. Uh, that's like that's a very Michael Kadire situation I could picture. I also think because of his Colorado connection, and he's got some cash that he could open up a head shop in Colorado mm. and make mucho dinero selling weed legally. Yes, I the, think he'd be so good at that. The the customer base, I guess. Well, that's uh, already built in, right? Already built in. And if you happen to be a Rockies fan, then uh, hey, you probably already have a place to go. And he seems like a chill guy. That's what I want in my weed dealer, right? Yeah. If I were to have a weed dealer, <laughs> I would want him to be like Michael Kazire. How about that? We're gonna ask Carlin about a couple not things. Not about weed. I hope. Not about weed. Coming up next, Chris Carlin. As promised, we are joined by Chris Carlin, who is the host of Geico Sports Night on Sportsnet New York, and he's also the host of Loud Mouse. He's the play-by-play at Rutgers for football and men's basketball. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Lex. Jay, Hello. good to see you. So when I was reading your story and doing a lot of research on you, you have a very interesting way of how you got into this business. Can you tell me that story? When I went to college, I went to Hobart College in upstate New York and uh, liberal arts school. I liked it a lot. I thought I was going to go be a lawyer. And I took a couple of poli-sci classes and that was over pretty quick. So <laughs> I figured out that was not the way to go. And um, one day there's a kid on my floor as a freshman who just comes up and he had worked at the radio station and he said, you're into sports, right? And he, he knew that I knew a lot about it. And uh, I said, yeah, I played some football in like junior high and all that. And he said, well, there was a guy who was a former player who was doing the color commentary on the student station for football. And he had gotten into an altercation at a bar the night before. He was ugly drunk, ugly drunk. And obnoxious, so somebody goes up, you know, we're going to teach this guy a lesson. And they pull his pants down. (laughs) Turns around, punches the first person he sees. No. It's an off-duty cop. No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, needless to say, he was asked to not return to the broadcast. Mm -hmm. And they needed somebody in pretty short order. And uh, I expressed some interest. 
I didn't I didn't think remotely about it. It was just like, oh, this will be fun. I mean, give it a shot, see what happens. Sure. And uh, I ended up doing sideline that first year, and it was I just fell in love with it immediately. It was never anything that I had remotely considered, but. I just, I couldn't get enough. What did you want to do growing up? Because most people who achieve the level of success that you've gotten to wanted to do this at some point. Thought about it growing up, you know, had a mic, had headphones, that kind of a thing. You never really thought about it at all? No, no. I was a huge sports fan. I was a huge Met fan growing up to the point where, you know, when I was seven, eight, nine, ten years old, when they were in the field, I'd wear my hat. When they were up, I'd wear the batting helmet. Uh-huh. Um, but I didn't really know up until I had two older brothers and the youngest of six. Okay. And I had two older brothers who had both become lawyers. My brother Steve had moved to Dallas in, in 1985. And I went to visit him and he's, you know, he's got this great job and he's got a car and he's making $45,000 a year. I said, wow, 45000 <laughs> That's so much money. And I thought, you know, this wouldn't be bad. I kind of like arguing with people. Maybe I'll go be a lawyer. So that was kind of the thought. But I figured out that I don't really like to work that much. Yeah. So that really, seriously, I, I I just had no interest in it after that when I figured out how much work was involved in being in it. And yet you pre- host like seven shows now, and I'm pretty sure you don't <laughs> sleep. When do you, you sleep? You do so much work. Um, It's actually a lot better now than it used to be. Like when I used to work at FAN and I'd bounce around and I did stuff at yeah. SNY and all that stuff, I never knew where I was. Right now, it's it's a lot less hectic than it used to be. I sleep normal hours. You sound like my mom. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, you got to take sleep? care of you. Jeez. She's 83 and has <laughs> so much to worry about. And, and, and when are you going to sleep? I I sleep like normal people. Yeah, I get Can we have your mom on this podcast at some like point? She sounds amazing. Oh, <laughs> let me tell you something. You don't have enough time to have my mom on this podcast. She would just, I mean, you know, she had five kids in seven years Holy and then cow. me eight years later. Wow. So I wasn't really in the plans, so to speak, uh-huh. yeah. Irish Catholic family. But my sister has two kids and it's as if my mom completely forgot five kids in seven years was stressful. What did your mom think about your success? She watch you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my mom will call me if I take a day off, but I forget to tell her. Oh. So at 530, when, the, when Loud Mouse is on, if I don't show up on the TV... Immediately, 531 phone call. Is everything okay? She got fired. Is everything okay? Is, uh, what's going on? Everything, I'm, I'm fine. I forgot to tell you. So I have to tell her yeah. if I take a day off because she lives by herself. She's 83. And like I said, she's, you know, getting a little further down the road. But I mean, last year uh, I was with Rutgers on the road and it's winter time with the basketball team. Mm-hmm. It's like midnight. And she knew that the weather, I think we were, I don't know, we were Indiana or something. Uh-huh. She knew the weather was bad there. Yeah. Called me as we're getting on the plane. Okay, so what's the plan? Wait, wait, what do you mean? What's the plan? <laughs> are you coming? Are you coming home tonight? Are they flying? She's like she wanted to talk to the pilot to get, you know, to get the whole rundown of what the flight plan looked like. Let's go back to WFAN. Mm. When you worked there, you were a producer for Mike and the Mad Dog. What was your relationship like with them? Complicated. Why? It was complicated because those guys they got along. But you always had to have a certain dynamic with each of them. You had to make each of them believe that you were their guy or that they were your guy. In other words, I had to have Chris believe he's my guy. But in reality, you have to make Mike your guy. You have to. And what do you mean by making him your guy? 
Because there would be days where Chris would just, uh, listen, I cannot deal with Mike today. He is a nightmare. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, and he would just say, I know. Unbelievable, right? Oh, how are we going to get through this? And then he, Mike would come in. Dog is unbearable. I cannot. Oh, my God. Get me to 6 o'clock. I, I, I know, Mike. You had to make each guy think that you were the one that was in their camp. Who had the bigger ego? Mike. Yeah. And... Is he really a, is he an asshole, like, in real life? Again, complicated question. I've seen Mike do a lot of good. Okay. Mike is not easy. What do you mean by good? Like, donate to charities? Well, yeah, and treat people special. Okay. I've also seen him treat people poorly. Yeah. You know, so, do I think Mike is a bad person? No. Mike can be an asshole. Sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I wouldn't be where I am today without Mike. I'll be the first to tell you that. But I, I was always disappointed with how our relationship has turned out now. Which is what? Non-existent. Why? Well, a few years ago, it was 2010, I had left the show, and we had a good relationship. I left it in 2004. Mm -hmm. And we always got along, and I, I truth, truth be told, I was always Mike's guy. I, I'm Chris, I needed to make Chris believe he was my guy, mm -hmm. but Mike, was, I was always a Mike guy. Okay. Because I took care of what Mike needed. You could get the call on Saturday night, and I've gotten it at 9.30, where's my car service, and... You're out with your friends, and you have to go outside and rectify this situation. Mm -hmm. And he's at Shea Stadium in the middle of a playoff game. No, baby. Yeah. Not easy. But, so I was doing Rutgers in 2010, and when you go on the road, you get a lot of stories about different things from people. You talk to a lot of people. I had talked to a lot of people that thought Jim Calhoun was retiring mm -hmm. in 2010, and people around him that felt like he's he's had enough. Mm -hmm. He's just so tired of it, probably going to walk away. And when I tell you, I chased this. I didn't chase it, but I had heard it over the course of two months, at least nine or ten times. And I said that on Loudmouse one night. I said, I'm hearing from people around Jim Calhoun. They think that this is it for him. Because that was your reality. That's what you were hearing. Yes. Yeah. And not just once, not just twice. I was hearing it a lot. Mm -hmm. And so... It got blown up a little bit on Twitter, and Calhoun heard about it. It was during the Big East tournament. He got asked about it. He's like, I don't even know who that guy is. And he's, <laughs> he's right. I didn't know Jim at all, but I knew some people that had worked for him and were around him quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so Mike, the next day, has me on the show, has me on, we're arguing uh, on the air a little bit. And at first, he's kind of joking around with me, Cotton had started this whole hubbub, you know. And it just went on and on, and it became more contentious, kind of out of nowhere. Uh -huh. And just started yelling, and at one point, he just hung up on me. <laughs> and it was primarily because Mike didn't get this from Calhoun himself. He didn't have the story. He had a great relationship with him. Mm -hmm. But really the bigger problem, and we had a we had a shouting match off the air right after that. That was far worse. What and was said in that shouting match? A lot of curse words. I can't tell you exactly what. Okay. But Mike, and, and not a conversation that Mike and I hadn't had a hundred times before. Uh -huh. And it was over in two minutes. It was in the middle of the newsroom at SNY. Four days later, I had, I had to go down to spring training. Uh, the producer texted me the next day just to let me know that um, Mike had apologized or whatever mm -hmm. on the air. I was like, okay. Didn't call me, but not that I would expect him to. I know Mike. Um, it ends up in Bob Raceman, his column, that uh, somehow uh, you know that discussion off the air was far worse than anything on the air. Mm -hmm. So Mike, in, media, in my head, I know how he's going to think. And he's going to think, I gave that to Bob Raceman mm. to stick it to him. Yeah. And I was with my wife, Cheryl. We were on the plane coming home, and we were, I'm reading the paper online, and I said, you watch. This is going to be a thing. 
You watch. We landed. Ten minutes later, phone's ringing. You and I are done. Just yelling at me. I know you have a lot of pressure on you. Like, he somehow felt that after I had worked for him for seven years and known him for 14, that I was going to turn on him. We had had this argument a hundred times before. And that I wasn't, that I was somehow like under some pressure to publicly stick it to him. But if you guys have had that conversation before, what clicked in his mind and said, this is it, this is the last yeah, straw? Yeah, that was my exact Well, because question. I don't work for him anymore. What am I going to do that's going to help him? I don't work for him anymore. He's not going to need me. That's it. You know, if they need you, they will do something for you. You know, or they will make sure to repair that relationship at some point. Or it'll just go away. No. And we had a, we had a conversation at Sweeney Murding's wedding mm-hmm. six months later. And I told him what happened, and he chose not to believe it. I said, I was in the middle of the newsroom with 30 people, and you and I are screaming at each other, a conversation that we've had a hundred times, and he chose not to believe it. So that's, I mean, it's I'll stop into FAN and have lunch with my former bosses or something like that, and it's cordial. It's, hey, but now we're non-existent. I'd have to say that the definition of a bad guy to me or a bad person is somebody who, when they need something from somebody They'll expect something back. Well, but, it, it, that's what makes that's what defines you as a good person. But what I'm also what also doesn't get in there is that over seven years when I did the show, mm-hmm. he did a lot for me. I had I was making no money. I was making thirty grand a year. Lent me money anytime I ever needed it. I was moving here without even don't pay it back. Nothing here. Go. Mm-hmm. You know, lo- lobbied for me to get opportunities on the air. Mm-hmm. So there, it, I, I don't think he's a bad person. Okay. I know how, at least I knew how at the time, he functioned, and I understood what was coming. Do you think you'll ever rectify that relationship? You know, part of me hopes so, but I'm not counting on it. I'm not counting on it. You would never it. call him up one day? And- no, Mike has had plenty of relationships, and I have nothing to call him about. Yeah. I already said my piece, and I'm good with that. The bridge has been burned. By his choosing, not mine. Yeah. I respect... Everything that he has done, and he has busted his tail to get to where he is. Um, I respect all of that about him. It's disappointing to me that it's ended up this way. I was hoping we'd have a better relationship for a longer time. I am fascinated by his fan base yeah. and their relationship with him. Does he understand that like some, like some, a lot of his support is genuine and a lot of it is kind of ironically flavored? Like, I, I, I think he does I now. I think most people are laughing at him, not with him, right? Um, I'm not saying say... that he doesn't have like great points, but there's so much like it's an interesting feel to his fan base. Well, really, where it changed was when he fell asleep on the air. That's I, really where it changed. I literally love that moment. I, it's so good. <laughs> it happened. It happened. Whether he wants to admit it or not, it he was happened. talking to Sweeney, right? Yeah, he was. And poor Sweeney. I mean, every time I see him, or every time anybody sees him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I feel for him, but uh, at the same time, that's what it's based around. It is different now, but Mike embraces it okay. because he, here's the thing about Mike. He is smart enough to understand that audiences change over the course of years. Mm-hmm. And remember that they started doing that show together in 1989. Yeah. So now the the target demographic is 18 to 49, 25 to 54. When That was the only rating we ever cared about when we got the ratings. Men, 25 to 54. Men, 25 to 54, are embracing him now. Yeah. Now, 
I don't know that he's ever truly had great competition, but with that being the case, they want to see that next moment of falling asleep or, you know, arguing with somebody who, you know, talks about Al Albuquerque and he thinks he's talking about his buddy (laughs) and it turns out to be a Tigers reliever that it happens. And, and to be fair, again, it's on the air for five and a half hours a day. Yeah. That's a long time. Let me tell you something. The folks in, I've talked to so many people over the years who think it is so easy. It is not easy. But he's also on TV. He has to realize that people are watching too. Sure. Sure. I just, I think that he doesn't forget that. It was, I nodded off and whatever, but I didn't fall asleep. Okay. Yeah. Whatever you want. See, that's the thing. That's the thing that I really wish Mike could do. Uh Embrace it and laugh about it. Yeah. Can't can't laugh about himself. But I think people are drawn to that. The fact that he's so defensive about it. He's a fascinating character. Yeah. He's a fascinating character study. There's no question. Do you have any weird stories about him and quirks that he has that are interesting and different? He's, I mean, the Diet Coke thing to me. Is it Diet Coke, right? Yeah. Well, depends on the week. I mean, the thing is, is that. The, when he was on TV, the label would be torn torn off. It was assumed it was Diet Coke. and Diet Coke. It was regular Coke. Uh-huh. So <laughs> it was tear off the label. Not all the time. A lot of the time. Tear off the label. We're not going to give them any free publicity, any free advertising. But <laughs> it's regular Coke, too, at times. There was one time in 2000 that I thought the two of them were really going to break up, and it was on my watch, and I was sweating about it. Mm-hmm. And it really all started over the fact that a flight got canceled, and we were going to have to connect somewhere, and he wasn't going to get to sit in first class. Wow. And that started a two-and-a-half-month fight between Mike and Chris. I've literally never flown in first class, ever. I, I can't say that I haven't, but generally speaking, it's on yeah. the upgrade. Yeah. You know? But— he had it to be, you know, he and Chris both had it in their contracts that they had to fly first class. I wish I had that in any sort of contract that I would ever have. That's well, amazing. I'll, I'll look into That's that a, for the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Kyle, Appreciate get on that. It. Kyle, yeah, wherever you are. So from one <laughs> ego to the next, then you go work for Don Imus. And what was that like for you? Miserable. I was yeah. miserable. It was two years. What happened was Sid Rosenberg was the sports guy on that show. Sid had his demons. I was doing the overnight. I had just taken over for Joe Beningo, who got moved to midday. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, late 2004, and so Joe moves. I, I, I'm doing it for a couple of months, and Sid got into some trouble when he was on the road and had to go to rehab for a month. So they asked me to do it. Mm-hmm. Imus had kind of listened to me on his way into work and kind of liked it, so I filled in, and frankly, the month that I did it went great. It could not have gone better because they didn't expect anything from me. Yeah. And they would just kind of let me go in, do my thing, and then let me sit in and occasionally crack a one-liner. And I had a couple of them where you really hit. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so, all right, I'm going back to the overnight now. Sid's back because Sid really helped drive that show. A month and a half, two months, three months later, Sid says something offensive about Kylie Minogue and her cancer. And I miss, you know, he had a ranch for kids with cancer fired him. Yeah. So now I'm under contract, keep in mind. And my boss, Mark Chernoff, comes to me and says, you want to do this? And I said, do I have a choice? And he said, well, kind of. And I said, Mark, how is it good for my career if I say, I don't want to go work on this show that's on MSNBC every morning and in front of a much bigger audience to just go do the overnights? And he said, yeah, you're probably right. So I went and did it. And the dynamic changed immediately. Mm -hmm. It was just, I'm not a comedy writer by any stretch and it, it you know when you don't have those kind of things written out and really prepared i'm much better off the top of my head similar to sid it just wasn't a good fit it wasn't a good fit it was i mean 
it was a rough couple of years. What specifically about your relationship made it rough? Oh, he just crushed me on the air. You can go on YouTube right now yeah. and see any one of a number of discussions where he's just burying me. And I could do it. I could handle it in the spirit of the show. That's fine. Um, that combined with getting up at 4 a.m. every day and the pressure of trying to come up with something remotely funny versus something that was stupid. And again, no idea what Imish you were getting that morning. It could be the jolly guy. It could be the nasty bastard. Yeah. And more often than not, that was it. And I became kind of a, a punching doll for him. But that was it was the gig. And I understood that. And I muscled my way through it. But it was... It was not fun. Did it did it eat at you? Did you take yeah. it home oh, with yeah. you at night? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I still got to do some shows on FAN and that kind of helped ease it for ease it for me a little bit. And I still had Rutgers and that was in two thousand six when they were having the unbelievable football season and that really carried me a long way. Uh but yeah, it ate at me because it wasn't remotely what I wanted to do. I knew I wasn't good at it. Mm-hmm. Um they had threatened to take me off the show a couple of times. I'm like, just please do it. Yeah. If I can't, I mean, listen, I wasn't stupid enough not to know what the audience was. It was a huge audience, but yeah. I'm sorry. I just, I wasn't enjoying it at all. He was, he was, he was nasty to me. He was. So one of the most infamous moments from his show was when he's referring to the Rutgers women's basketball team as nappy headed hoes. Yeah. What happened with you that day? You were involved in the show, obviously. Where were you? I wasn't there. I was home the day before it was a Tuesday and the day before I came down with the worst stomach flu of my life. Mm -hmm. Just at the end of the show, I went home and just got as sick as a dog. Literally one of those sicknesses where you do not remember anything. It is all a blur. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was in bed for literally two days. So uh, Tuesday night was the national championship game between Rutgers and Tennessee. Wednesday morning, Sid filled in for me because he had started to work his way back into good graces. And there were talks that maybe Sid would come back to the show, mm-hmm. which I was hopeful for. Sid helped lead him down that path. The one thing I will say is that when you are getting up that early in the morning and sleep is a factor in your life, your guard gets lowered mm-hmm. and you could say something stupid at any moment. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, he's a moron for having said it. And mm-hmm. it was beyond offensive. My wife and I have often had the discussion, what would have happened if I was there? I don't know. Because I remember I had this relationship with Rutgers right. at the time. So two days later, it really wasn't anything at first. Mm-hmm. And then a day later, I got an email from somebody down there. Hey, do you know anything about this? I said, oh, I've, I've been laid up. I wasn't there. I don't know. I'll try to find out. So, all right. So he says it on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. On Thursday, starts to catch a little heat about it and says, you know what? If you want me to apologize, basically kiss off. Friday, the heat is really picking up, starts to apologize, really apologize. I I could not be more wrong, all of this stuff. And then it really just started picking up momentum over the weekend um, because there was no, there was nothing else in the news cycle, nothing in the news cycle. So the pressure just kept coming. Monday, he goes on with Al Sharpton, massive mistake. Somebody from MSNBC advised him to do that, and Sharpton made him look silly. Mm-hmm. Made him look silly. And then then it was, he's suspended, and then the sponsors start pulling, and when the sponsors start pulling, you're done. Yeah, yeah. It's so, amazing to me that immediately you don't think to yourself, oh, 
that was a mistake. Like there isn't a, a trigger that goes out. And well, like but you that's said, a, a but, lack of sleep, but no, but it, that wasn't it. It was also a healthy ego of, you know what? I, I've been doing this a long time. I know what I'm doing. Don't worry about it. Yeah, Did he not like, think it was wrong when he said it? I don't think that it really struck him what he said. Yeah. He had a couple of people on that show who could lead him down that path. Yeah. Unfortunately, there were some good people on that show and there were a couple that weren't and let him down that path. So I don't put it on any, it, his name's on the show. He said it. And so anyway, one part of the story that I left out mm-hmm. is that on Sunday night, I am getting ready to go back to work, but I'm walking into this Monday morning into this whole disaster with the, with, with Rutgers. And I called my boss and I, my wife and I were talking about it. I said, I'm not going to work tomorrow. I don't, I don't want to support this guy. Mm-hmm. So I called my boss and he said, so what you're telling me is you're quitting. I said, no, I'm not quitting, but I don't want to be there right now. And I knew language, my contract, all that. I can miss a couple of days, whatever. He called Imus. And in the midst of all of that, Bob Mulcahy and the folks from Rutgers called me mm-hmm. and said, go to work. We know you weren't there. We know this wasn't you. Go to work. Mm-hmm. You have a wife. I was newly married, not six, not four months. And um, they were unbelievable to me for that. And I went to work the next day and, you know, he went on the air and said something like, you know, I appreciate you being here and supporting me. I was like, mm. Nets lost last night. Let's get into the rest of that. You know, <laughs> yeah. right into the scores. Yeah. For your sake, I've never been happier for yeah. someone to have a case of explosive. Oh, there's, oh. <laughs> yeah, it was the worst. But I mean, I'm, I'm four months into this contract. I'm just married and we had no money and it was the first real money I was kind of making. And I'm like, so this is how it's gone down. Yeah. It was, stre- it was stressful and scary. So I was talking to our boss last night, Brad Como, at the holiday party. And I was asking him about your guys' relationship, how he first found you, bringing you on Loudmouse. And he said, you know, I'd listened to both Adam Shine and Chris Carlin on The Fan. And I brought them together and realized that they would be, I thought, a really good fit. So I said, wow, so you're the brains behind Loudmouse. Do you ever get, a, you know, credit for it? And he goes, no, not really, not when you think about it. So I'm giving Brad credit, but I want to hear your side of the story. How did they scoop you up and say, you know, you've done a little bit of, of TV. We're going to give you essentially your own show to co-host, and it's just going to be TV. I was freaked out. I was definitely freaked out by it. Um, I had done a lot of guest spots on Daily News Live uh, that year. There was an hour-long show, and occasionally would crack one-liners, all that kind of stuff. But when I got into, like, the holidays there, I would sit there and say, just try to get as many of these under my belt as possible. I never thought about TV or or doing any of that stuff. And so Kurt Gowdy Jr. came to me and Brad came to me and said, we want to kind of frame this show and, and, and try to do it with you and Adam. And I had known Adam for a really long time, almost 10 to 12 years by that point, because he grew up in Rockland County and I worked on WRKL radio up there. Good guy. We always got along at the fan and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. that's kind of how it just put us together on like one sports night to argue about something. And it worked. It's it magic. Worked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess it was, it was, you know, the greatest thing was the greatest thing I could say is that in eight years of doing that, we never once had a legit real fight. I, actually, that came to mind was how was your relationship with Adam different than all of the other relationships that you had working in the business? 
Because you guys uh, had a great chemistry together working on Labyrinth. We had a great relationship and continue to have a great relationship mm-hmm. because he he gets it. Mm-hmm. He understood it. And I'll, I, I mean, I will say this to the day I die. I have never seen anybody bring the energy that he brought every single day to the show. He drove the show from an energy standpoint because... When I would see him and he would come in and we'd start talking, that fired me up. Right. Like in the morning, I'd be like, oh, okay. But I, Adam is a huge reason why I have this need now for you to know what my opinion is. Because he always had it and it wasn't ever something that I really considered up until when I started doing some shows at Fan. But like the, the inner burn of wanting that to be the case Never really had it up until when I was with him. How do you enjoy working on Geico Sports Night? How is it different working on a show like that as opposed to, you know, when you're kind of just spouting your opinion? It's a much different show. Yeah, it's a different show. I, I enjoy it from this standpoint. I, I did Mets pre and post game for five years on on the network, and um, I enjoyed it. But it also felt at times like it was traffic cop-ish to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, they wanted me to to use my personality a little bit more. But I never felt comfortable. You know, Bob Ojeda was the star of that show, and and he's the guy that's going to give his opinion, and Kevin Burkhart's the star of that show. I'm just the guy there. I never felt comfortable giving my opinion in that spot. So uh, a few years back, I went to uh, Kirk Gowdy, and I just said, I, you know, this is not me. You're not getting the best of me here. And I've always gone by this tenant. I thrive when you let me be an idiot. I mean, I mean that in the truest form. I thrive when you let me be an idiot. And so I had seen all the sports center anchors and all those kind of guys. And I right. said, you know, that's that's great. Maybe I can take it to the next level and, and try to do that. It was a tremendous challenge. And I enjoyed doing it because I just want to try to do it a little bit differently than people have done it before. That's all. I really labor over a lot of the writing and stuff, and and that's where my biggest issue is. But I want it to be different. I want it to be different. I feel like you've given me a (laughs) mantra to live by. Yeah. I I just want to be an idiot. Yeah, no. I thrive (laughs) when you let me be an idiot. That. I I go by that. And I feel that way doing a talk show. I feel that way doing a lot of things. I want to go back for one second. When you first got to SNY, you were doing Mets pre and post game. We were just saying, yeah. Yeah, Bob Ojeda. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was a complicated relationship. Yeah. Um, we weren't the best of friends. Yeah. Uh, why wasn't that, Why didn't that work? The first couple of years it worked. Mm-hmm. We got along great. I blame myself for mm-hmm. a few things. Um, I made a comment, you know, when I, when I was on the air, I kind of thought of us in just as one unit. And, like, I remember I made a joke one time. I, it's just, it was stupid. Basically... You know, it was about Ubaldo Jimenez, and he had gone to med school or was going to go to med school. And I said, well, you know, you know, Bob never went to med school or something like that. And it was just an offhand comment. But the second I knew it came out of my mouth, I'm like, wait a minute. That just sounds like you're being a prick. Yeah. What are you doing that for? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the night, I went to him and I said, I was out of line for that. I'm, I'm sorry. And he said, yeah, well, then why did you do it? And I said, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where it wasn't at its best. Um, got worse a couple other times, but we made it work just from the standpoint of trying to do the best we could with the shows. He's, he is a complicated, again, I use that word a lot. He's a complicated guy, Mm -hmm. very good guy, loves the game. 
I never understood the game on his level. Mm -hmm. And as much as I tried to, I just wasn't smart enough to. And I think that frustrated him. There he, were play, other, he played, though. It, you, it's not an intelligence thing. It's just a, it's a different perspective. Yeah, it is a different perspective, but I think, I think the feeling was we had been together so long, how are you not picking up more of this? Mm -hmm. I'm speculating when I say that. Sure. That was a frustrating scenario, too. We were not the best of friends. We made the show work since we've, I've, I've, we've texted a few times, but we were not hanging out off the air at all. Mm -hmm. And, again, that, that was probably one of my biggest disappointments in my professional life. That somehow I couldn't make that relationship work better. I can honestly say I tried. Mm -hmm. And he just decided it wasn't gonna. So, okay. All right, we'll do what we gotta do. Now you're gonna have a really unique situation because Loudmouse has an opening now that Adam Shine's gone. And I've heard some rumblings about people that they've tried to get into that role like Baba Bowie. <laughs> I've heard Tommy Dreamer. Did you hear that one? Yeah, I did hear that one, yeah. Who, who do you see being in that role, someone that you think you would work well together and you want to develop a relationship with? Well, to be clear, I can work pretty well, I think, with a lot of people. Okay. I think, it, I, I think uh, especially in that show, I think it lends itself to that. I wanted Gary to try out in the worst way, mm -hmm. and that's another thing where the Raceman thing, I got crushed on that because somehow somebody leaked that to Bob. I had talked to Gary. I've known him for a long time. He's a great guy, tremendous sports fan, and it got leaked to Bob, and he hadn't even had a chance to ask for permission to come and try out. Mm -hmm. And so the folks over at Sirius were like, no, it, it, where is this coming from? How do we not know about this? At least I think that's what happened. And then they're like, no, you can't try out. Um, we had John Hine from over there try out a few weeks ago who works on the, who hosts the wrap-up show, and he was tremendous. For folks that don't know who that is, he created the website Jump the Shark and yeah. sold it for a lot of cash. And uh, John's a tremendous guy. Mark Malusis, I think, is awesome on the show. Mm -hmm. I really... and. and I think I get the best of Mark when, and I'm not saying I get the best out of him. I think I get the best of him. Mm -hmm. Like he really understands it and does a fantastic job with it. Um, you know, Rick DiPietro was a guy that we were definitely wanting to bring in, but I think because of family concerns, he couldn't really do it. They, he and his wife just had a baby and um, she didn't, he lives out in Long Island. She didn't want him getting home at eight o'clock every night, mm -hmm. which I can understand. So who's it going to be? I mean, we're still open, so I don't know who it's going to be at this point. So besides the Bobby Ojeda relationship, mm -hmm. is there anything when you look back in your career that you regret and you say, you know what, if I were to go back and do it all over again, I would do it differently? Only a couple of things. One is um, somebody approached me one time with the possibility of auditioning to be a WWE announcer. Mm -hmm. I should have gone and done it. Yeah. I somehow, I should have done it. I, I, and it's look, so I don't, mainstream now. It's I, huge. Absolutely. And yeah. again, it was, and at the time of thinking, nah, you know what? I, I'm going to be a serious journalist. Please. <laughs> That's crap. A little did you know, you wanted to be an idiot. Exactly. <laughs> right. And I could have thrived. And it was just an audition. <laughs> it was just an audition, but I turned it down. I wish... I wish to no end that I had gone on it just to go on it. I don't make. I don't want to make you feel bad about this, but I can see it. Yeah, I, I, I can totally see it. See it. Oh, I can yeah. totally see it. I mean, I watched it all when I was a kid. I kind of stopped for a while, but I loved it. Oh my god, I love the Hard Foundation. Uh, they were my favorites. Fit. Demolition, the Road Warriors, all those guys. I would have been into it. I would have been into it, but somehow I had this little stretch of you know. 
righteous indignation. No, I'm going to be <laughs> the next great, you know, uh, great uh, sports thinker in our country. And did you have a name? The, did you have a wrestling no, name that you had come I up had, with? No, it was so it was so quick mm-hmm. that I turned it down. I was so so close minded on it. I I regret that I worked as much as I did in my twenties. Not I'm here. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. I'm still not where I want to be, but I had zero social life in my twenties. And when you copy that, where you complement that with the fact that I had zero game with women, <laughs> I mean, it was a, it was a. But you're such a. Uh, you really hit. Oh yeah, home. you're hitting <laughs> oh, thanks, home. Thanks, <laughs> Yeah. Look, you gotta, re- you know, you are charming though. Uh, you but, charm the pants off oh, of everyone. Please, uh, you know, here's the my thing. My pants are off right now. Yeah. I didn't want to say anything. But, yeah. uh, That's why you're here now. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can be a lot of things in college and be successful with women. Mm-hmm. You cannot be fat. You cannot be fat. I don't know if I 100% agree with that. Jay, you cannot be fat. I was 60 pounds heavier than I am right now Yeah, when I was in college. But what, what, but what do you, arguably weigh, what do you weigh right now? 180? Yeah, 240. Like 240's not fat. Two forties, it, it's it, it's fat ish. Jay, I I weigh. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. I weigh three oh five right now. Mm-hmm. Right now, okay. I weigh three fifty in college. Wow, three fifty. You cannot. You cannot have any success with women when that's the case. Doesn't matter what game you. You had play. a couple of LBs on me. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, 110. <laughs> what's the biggest issue for you uh, with weight fluctuation? What is? What are your factors? Um, Everyone's got something. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I just don't stay at a a level I'm comfortable with. I go up and down a little bit, but not not all that much. I you know when I've lost forty pounds, I just go back to doing whatever I was done, and I eat crap. Mm-hmm. So I've never been a guy that's been able to consistently eat healthy. So, but it, at this point, at forty three, I now have to. Mm-hmm. I don't have a choice. It's health. Yeah. I uh, went and got one of these scans last year. It's called a calcium score just to see like about buildup and, Mm -hmm. you know, I got to do something. Yeah. So. Does it hold you back? Do you feel like? That's the thing. Like, I think like professionally, Mm -hmm. no, I think it's actually worked in my favor because when they brought me to SNY, it was, we want you to be our every man and we want, you're not going to be the typical sportscaster. I think the fat actually helped me (laughs) at SNY, but I look at myself on screen and I'm like, Dude, four chins. What are we doing here? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's got to get better. It's got to get. And I'm not a guy that's going to sit here and tell you I got to go lose 150 pounds, but I got to get healthier. And somehow I get onto a decent track for a bit and then it just goes away. Do you have a goal weight that you'd like to reach? Uh, I mean, I'd love to be under 200 pounds again at some point in my life since it hasn't happened since like seventh grade. Mm-hmm. And I'm not exaggerating. Uh, but I don't know what's realistic and what's not. Mm-hmm. It's been a lifelong struggle. Mm-hmm. And it re I mean, like I was always chubby, but my dad died when I was 15, uh, like that out of nowhere. And um, when you look at my sophomore year picture versus my junior year picture, there is a massive difference there. Mm-hmm. Tragedy usually does that to people. Yeah. I mean, we've all been Everyone there. Everyone takes it differently. Yeah. yeah. And exactly. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting situation and in how it unfolds in your life. Yeah, it was just yeah, it was just me and because I was so much younger than everybody else, it was mm-hmm. just me and my mom after the funeral and after everybody left, and I was not going to do anything wrong to be a stress in her life because when he died, 
the worst part of that for me, physically, I would feel it in my stomach every time that week she cried. Every time when she burst into tears. Oh, my God. I've never had anything like that since. I never had anything like it before. It was the worst. Well, And it never leaves you. You can remember that feeling for the rest of your life. No. Never leaves you. Yeah. Never leaves you. But, yeah, there's no question that in lieu of fun, I had more than a few pizzas along the way. Yeah. You said you're not where you want to be yet. Where do you want to be? I want to be the guy that, I mean, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I would not mind being Skip Bayless or Stephen A. Smith mm-hmm. from this standpoint. As I was saying earlier, I just have this this inner need for you to know what I think. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to go out of my way all the time to just say something outlandish. That's not my that's not my way. But sometimes I believe things that are a little bit out there. I'm a bit of a conspiracy theorist, mm-hmm. having been in sports now for 20 years and seen different things and see how different guys work different things uh, in the way they deal with the media and all that. But I also, um, I have that need for you to know what I think. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean I want to be on ESPN? No, it doesn't. I love New York sports and the fact that you can be local and have that energy. And I love arguing over things. When you say conspiracy theorist, what, like, what's your biggest theory that you buy into? Are you like a Bigfoot guy? <laughs> no, I mean conspiracy theorist in sports. It's, it's a minor conspiracy theory. Okay? Bigfoot's an athlete, by the way. Well. <laughs> He's been running for a long time. Yeah, that's true. That's a it's fair been point. Great shape. <laughs> I uh, just over the years, I think covering teams, I covered the Giants for several for four or five years, and. Uh, Listening to guys and hearing what they're saying and actually hearing what they're actually saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think people pick up on that. And I'll, I'll remember specifically after Super Bowl Forty Two, if you remember, Tiki had retired the year before. Mm-hmm. Tiki had said something controversial about Eli because he was going in about how Eli wasn't a leader and it was a joke and all right. that. Eli, after Super Bowl Forty Two, and it was an interview that not a lot of people have seen for the NBC Sports website, mm-hmm. was interviewed by Tiki one-on-one. And the first thing, you know, Tiki says, you know, unbelievable year, all this stuff. And Tiki, you know, says he had reached out and they had dealt with it. And, and Eli went right into, and Eli was the all shucks guy, right? Nobody yeah. ever thought anything substantial was coming out. Mm-hmm. He went right into, well, you know, we had the right guys on this team at the right time. Mm. And he was, and immediately <laughs> I was like, whoa, did he just basically pop him in the face? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I brought it up to Mike and Chris on the air. And they listened to it like, oh, no, you don't know what you're talking about. And I got a call from someone at the Giants within 10 seconds that said, yep, exactly right. (laughs) You could not be more spot on with that. And so things like that, you know, conspiracy theorists, I don't I'm not I shouldn't phrase it like that. But I always look for the sub meaning. Who's been your favorite athlete or team to cover throughout your career? I love covering that Giants team. That was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um they were good guys. You know, there were only a couple of guys I didn't really get along great with. Michael, Michael Strahan. I didn't really, he, really? Didn't, he didn't love me. Why? Um, yeah, what is that? Uh, it's like an affable guy. It know. was a couple you things. Yeah, no, but Michael was smart in that whenever the camera was on, mm-hmm. he knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Big smile, joking around, all that stuff. Camera was off, mm, not as easy. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I don't, it was what he was. There's a lot of demands on these guys' time. I had made a couple of comments. I forget what year it was that he broke the sack record. Mm-hmm. He was exceptionally 
exceptionally sensitive about that mm-hmm. because Favre took the dive yeah. so that he could get the record right? and just, he did not want to hear about it. And I made a couple of comments on FAN and he just started looking at me differently mm-hmm. and not as open when I'm covering the team. And he'd shoot me the skunk eye and stuff like that. Yeah. And, uh, such a dive though. Yeah, of course it was a dive, <laughs> but nobody is taking he can't away hold that against you. I mean, yes, he obviously did. But. Yes, but you can't take away from the greatness of the season. And I wasn't trying to do that, right. but I was. But it was a point. Let's call it what it is. Yeah. yeah, let's just be honest. Yeah, and he did not like that. And um, the day before Super Bowl Forty Two, I waited. I, I was trying to get him for. I did the pre and post game show, and I was trying to get him for an interview all week long. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a Super Bowl week. I get it. Saturday before the Super Bowl, I'm at the Giants Hotel in Arizona and I waited for two and a half hours. Wow. He blew it off. Yeah, it wow. happens. Mm-hmm. It happens. And you know what? I, I like him. I credit him because he's done an amazing job with his career. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing job. But back then, it wasn't all... He, he knew what he was doing. Yeah. Cameras are on. Make sure they see the big smile and all that sure. and, and joking around with personality. So he wasn't stupid at all. You know, they were fun. Uh, you know, the Mets in uh, in 2000 when I was producing Mike and Chris, that was a lot of fun. The Subway Series was amazing. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like that. And Rutgers. I mean, when I, I'm a Jersey guy, and when you saw that 2006 season come from literally the cupboard being absolutely bare when Greg Schiano got there, mm-hmm. to see that in five years, and all of a sudden they're ranked sixth in the country, and they just beat Louisville undefeated, and... Holy crap. I mean, to see, I still get chills thinking about right before kickoff because I thought that was the moment that people in New Jersey would appreciate the most of people that were there of just seeing that place just go ballistic. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I think about that and I'm borderline tearing up right now, even though you might not be able to tell, but I, it was such a, such an incredible night, such an incredible night. Wow. Um, okay, so we end every podcast with an embarrassing story or some, you know, funny or good, but I sway on the side of embarrassing. So my embarrassing story comes from when I was doing the hosting gig at City Field. They were very big on making sure that whoever we picked as a contestant was a Mets fan, either a season ticket holder or somebody that had been supporting the organization for a long time. Makes sense. So this kid comes up to me and I said, hey, buddy, what's your name? You know, who's your favorite Met? Tell me a little bit about yourself. And he goes, the Mets? I like the Yankees. And I'm like, oh, great, this kid. He's like, yeah, I like Alex Rodriguez. And he keeps going on and on. And in my head, all I can think about is they explicitly told me not to pick a (laughs) Yankees fan. And that's all this kid is. And I'm like, crap. So I said to him, do you know anyone on the Mets? And his dad walks over and he's like, yeah, he knows who David Wright is. And I was like, great, okay. So I'll say that while he's playing this game. So he's playing this game, and I'm doing a little bit of commentary over him. I think he's fielding the ball. And I say, you know, Johnny from Fayetteville is a third baseman, and his favorite Yankee is David Wright in front of everyone in the entire stadium. (laughs) And the second it happened, I knew it happened. I knew that it came out of my mouth. I was like, I'm getting fired. I was here for one day. I called the biggest star in the organization a Yankee, and they're not going to let me come, come back. So I went home and I cried. I was, it was awful. It was mortifying. It was embarrassing. I got yelled at by my producer, my director. It was terrible. So fast forward to spring training. When I go down and I walk into the Mets locker room because I was assigned to do spring training sideline reporting down there. And I walk in and I'm standing with a bunch of the pitchers and I'm kind of building a rapport with them. They're getting to know me. And in front of everyone, 
Zach Wheeler walks over and goes, aren't you the girl that called David Wright a Yankee in front of everyone in the entire stadium? (laughs) And I just looked at him and I go, no, that wasn't me. (laughs) And he was like, and all the guys just look at me because they all knew what he was talking about. And I was like, well, see you later. (laughs) And then just walked away. It was awful. That's That's pretty bad. I was like, thanks, Zach, you jackass. (laughs) I was kind of cringing. Just, I mean, I can imagine that. It was so bad. I think probably one of my worst, well, two, and it's they're kind of connected and that they both involve torn pants. Um, <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> one was at the, uh, at the Big East tournament, uh, I don't know, three, four years ago. And I had a, I'd gone over as wearing my suit. It might've been Rutgers last year in the Big East. And I got up out of the chair and they didn't hear it. And I just heard this rip. <gasps> like it got caught. The side of my pants got caught. And there was a rip from my right hip all the way down to my knee mm-hmm. with these suit <laughs> pants. And I had a bag and I'm like, oh, trying to, you know, carry it and just so somehow I got back to my seat and nobody was saying anything. I don't know how. I didn't know if they thought I had a tearaway suit on or something. But it was a nightmare. But the really the worst one though, I was the best man at a friend's wedding. Mm-hmm. And um Two friends I'd known forever, and at the time heavier than even now. And big guys have enough trouble as it is mm-hmm. with this kind of stuff. So I have the rings. Uh, time for the rings. We're on the altar. Drop the ring. Jump down real quick to get it. Psst. Just hear that whole rip. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, and there are mics on the altar. Place heard it. <gasps> That's awesome. Oh, my God. <laughs> right down the back. That right is down amazing. the back. Oh, it was, it was by far the worst moment of my life. Oh, oh my god, <laughs> that I, is so good. But you know what? I want to thank you for making me relive it because I had actually <laughs> forgotten about it until about today. Well, a that's really what this embarrassing story. Is for. Oh yeah. yeah, remember that time, fatty? You split your pants right down the back <laughs> on the altar and ruined somebody's special day. Yes. Oh, thanks, Lex. I can't imagine amazing. that that ruined it in any way, shape, or form. You'd that, be surprised. That only. <laughs> to have amplified Oh, the there's no doubt. The, the, my only saving grace is they did not videotape the wedding. That's huge. Oh. The video evidence would have been big. Especially, and that that's 10, 15 years ago. If somehow there was still video evidence, it obviously would be everywhere. Now. You would have made the, the wedding blooper real. Oh, God. Chris, thank you so much for coming today. Thank you for having me. It was very cathartic. Yeah, it's been awesome to watch your career and all the mentoring that you've done for me. I really appreciate it. So thank you for being here and being a part of our podcast. Jay Hearn, thank you so much for filling in for Kyle. I hope he's not actually deported. Maybe he's back next week. We'll I hope see. he is. And fans, we've got Eric Legrand coming up next week. Chris, you're a huge Eric guy. I'm a huge Eric guy. You yeah. will have a blast with him. He is a fascinating, fascinating person. What question have you never asked him that you'd want to ask him? That's a good question. I, I think... Uh, the one question I would ask him about his social life, mm-hmm. you know, like how much harder does this make it? Not necessarily with friends, but also just relationships with women and that kind of thing. Cause you know, Eric, he's a player. <laughs> he does, but not easy. He's a great guy. Oh, he's phenomenal. Love it. Incredible story. Yeah. We'll stay tuned next week. We'll have Eric Legrand and we will ask him that. And we'll talk to him all about his social life. Chris, thank you so much. Jay Hearn. Thank you. Abiel. Thank you. Thank you. And let's go get a snack.